You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. It's a roundtable with all the superstars of this podcast in today. It's me, Patrick Bexel, but I'm joined by Jared Book, who's just released an article, Jared. Hello. The the Karen Willett one was 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 ready since last year. I had to add Pierre Turgeon to it, but uh, yeah, it's it's already out. It's one article, but it's out, and I'm ready to go. Let's let's do this. We're also joined by uh, the ever present number one podcast host in Hong Kong, Matt Drake. I don't know if I'm number one in Hong Kong anymore, but uh, don't worry. Once the once the season gets started, I will be. And of course somewhere in Europe because he's mentioned so many places in the last five minutes that we still don't know where he is. Anton Rosegård, the fugitive. Exactly. Yeah, nobody knows. Not even Interpol. Yeah, and the only picture we have of you is really from, from, from the back. Exactly. That's how it should be. No one knows. You might see him somewhere, wherever you are, because we don't really know where he is either. The good thing we do know is that he has some good insights to today's discussion that will center on what has been on and off on Twitter, in media. Should Montreal move up? Should they move down with either or both of their first round picks in this year's draft? Let's start with you, Matt. What do you think? I I, I don't know. I, I was pretty sold on them at least trying to move up uh, until today when it came out that <clears throat> maybe Anaheim's interested in taking Matt Mitchkov with the second pick. I think that might cause somebody who should not be available at number five to be available at number five. If Mitchkov goes number two, that could change a lot of things in the rest of the top five. And then next thing you know, Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli could be sitting there for you at five, which is nuts. Neither of those players should be available at fifth overall. If that's the case, I don't see the harm in just staying at five, waiting to see what happens and then picking one of them up. I also think Matt Vay Mitchkov is a great pick. So I think they're fine at five. I would almost rather them stay there than sit there and try to, expend a bunch of assets just to move up a couple of spots and take somebody who at the end of the day might end up being available for you there anyways because you're, you're not trading up to second overall because you magically think Connor Bedard's going to be sitting there it's because you're either interested in Adam Fantilli or you're interested in Leo, uh, Leo Carlson now we have information out there that says maybe just maybe one of those guys is going to be hanging around at five anyways so I don't know I don't know but I think I'm, I'm less sold today than I was yesterday on them trying to move up as you mentioned, there will be a package. It will be a huge deal in order to move up huge. to those spots. So would it be worth it? It depends, man. If there was a possibility that Connor Bedard was going to slide to number two, I'd say, yeah, get get to number two and uh, and then pray that, you know, Chicago makes the dumb decision to, to leave Connor Bedard on the board. I don't see a situation where, because the only two teams that they were linked to so far were what? It was uh, particularly Anaheim. And there was also the possibility of trading up with Columbus. I don't see either of those two teams letting you move up for anything less than a King's ransom. So they're going to want that Florida pick down at the bottom of the first round. They might want an additional second round pick, or they're going to want a prospect or two. And I feel like Anaheim in particular, they're probably going to be sitting there and demanding Cole Caulfield, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think the Montreal Canadians are in the slightest bit interest in moving Cole Caulfield just so they can jump up three spots in the draft. And I think that's going to become the problem. Anaheim's going to see an opportunity there where they're going to go, we want to reunite Trevor Zegers and Cole Caulfield. And Montreal is going to be like, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, we'll take Trevor Zegers if you want. And then they're going to be like, no, we're not trading Trevor Zegers. And it's going to go in this big carousel to the point where, 
you know, the asking price is just not going to be something that Montreal is willing to pay and not something that I think the fans are going to want them to be willing to pay. So I, I don't see it happening, but we we're, were talking about this earlier in the EOTP chat, me and Jared, there's a possibility that moving up to number four ends up costing you a little bit less if things start to get weird. Like if Anaheim goes out there and we pick number two, they take Mitchkov, right? All of a sudden, a team like Columbus might say, well, I can trade back a couple of spots and still get what I was looking for. So the cost to move up might actually end up coming down a little bit. And that, that could be an interesting aspect. So I'd say for the moment, I'd say wait until the draft gets started. Look, forget about the Anaheim pick and maybe focus on the other two that are ahead of you. And if something crazy happens on day one, then maybe you try to pull the trigger and maybe they get a little bit jumpy and they accept something a little bit lower than they would today. Jared, you are almost as old old as me. So we remember Canucks moving up to get the Sedins or, or getting one of the Sedins to get the, the third overall pick. What would it be the same kind of deal that Montreal has to facilitate in order to move up those spots? It'd be harder because the, the the thing about that that ninety was it ninety nine draft, yeah, uh, was that it was a really weak draft, right? The, the Canucks actually traded up for number one, and then traded number one to get two and three, on the condition that uh, Atlanta didn't pick. The Sedins, right? And they ended up with Patrick Stefan. Uh, so I I think that there, there's two coins to this, right? And, and Matt touched on, on a few of them. What, what I see here is that the reason why there's so much uncertainty with Montreal at number five is whether Mitchkov is the one. Are, are they going to take Mitchkov? Because if they don't and the top four goes the way that we expect, then there becomes a drop-off, right? And, and, you know, depending how you feel about Zach Benson, he's probably closer to that group than anybody. But then you have, like, the Ryan Leonard's, the David Reinbacker's, you know, all, all those guys. Dallas Bordovorsky. So so what you have to look at is you have to look at what is going to happen here. And if Mitchkov doesn't, isn't available for the Canadians to take, if he's taken by Anaheim at two or anywhere else, the Canadians clearly, and Matt touched on this, you don't trade up to number two to take Will Smith, right? You don't trade up to number two to to pass on Carlson or Fantilli. So if if either one of Smith, Carlson, or Fantilli are there at five or around, I, I think that it limits the need to move up for the Canadians, right? Because I, I the reason why Montreal would want to trade up to number two is there's two options. Either they really know they know they're not going to take Mitchkov at five and don't want to be left with him as the only option in that top five. And the other option is that they really like one of the other guys and want to make sure they get that specific guy. So it, it, I, I think there's a chance, but the price is going to be very high. And the incentive for a team like Anaheim or Columbus to trade down it depends on what they're looking for, right? Like if if Columbus or any team in the top five, even San Jose to a certain extent, if they feel like they can go to five and are fine with whoever they get, then yeah, they might be able to t- get another asset from Montreal and still get the guy they want. The, the intrigue surrounding Montreal is that the expectation is that at five, the only one of those top five guys left is Mitchkov and whether they're going to take him or not. Uh, so yeah, it's... 
it's definitely going to be interesting. And and for the second straight year, it kind of feels like Montreal is like the 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 cork in the bottle of this draft. You saw it last year with Slavkovsky over Wright, and then things kind of went kind of crazy. Uh, no one expected Wright to fall to number four, uh, and this year they're sitting at number five, and and everyone's kind of like, okay, what's going to happen uh, with them? And and even above them, uh, what other teams decide to do can really make a dif- difference on what the incentive for Montreal is. Anton, what what's your take on this now that you heard both Jared and Matt, obviously, but you obviously have thoughts of your own. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to know exactly how you should um, how you should approach this draft exactly because, as you've both spoken about, there are four um, four highly talented players who are a uh, one cut above the rest of them, and uh, with Matvey Mitchkov being the only one who has a little bit of question marks around him, and uh, if it was up to me, I would probably stay at number five because when it comes to everything um as we've spoken about now um the price will be probably enormous to move to number two and get an adam fantilli for example um and it's still you know a couple of years back we saw everyone being very high on quentin byfield for example at number two and um or a capocaco at number two or a patrick line at number two and it's difficult to know exactly how an 18-year-old will actually turn out. Um, there's a reason why David Pasternak didn't go until number, what was it, 26 in the draft. Um, it's so much a guessing game still when these prospects are just 17, 18 years old. And if you have to pay a king's ransom to go up to number, you know, as as Matt said in the beginning here, if, if it was for Connor Bedard, you know, that franchise all-ring player, a Connor McDavid, a Wayne Gretzky, a Mario Lemieux type player, then absolutely pay a king's ransom. But Montreal are they are working on something good here. We we saw just what Sean Monaghan said about Martin Saint-Louis today, uh, about his importance as a coach and that he's never had a coach like this before. And uh, they have such a young and aspiring uh, group of players right now that I feel like if you actually end up trading away a few of them or you trade, uh, trade away um, assets that you already have in your system, you, you might en- end up regretting it in the future problem is also from montreal's point of view is that this rebuild or retool has gone on for quite some time whereas other teams hasn't and could probably afford to take mitch at two three four meaning in a way that you get two or three more years where you're gonna pick early in the draft and get other big talented players Mitchkov is an amazing talent. There are other things surrounding him in in this climate and and not speaking to teams and um, just the discussion with the KHL-NHL agreement, et cetera, et cetera, or or the lack of agreement, really. Um, So so there is that. Um, Does that make it more interesting as well? Is that another layer? Is it a 3D chess board, more or less? I, I think it's definitely an issue. Right, I I think that there's, and I spoke I spoke about this a little bit with with Scott Wheeler in the podcast we did with him. It's like you you can trust Scott to the you know play Mitchkov when he deserves to be played, but there's no guarantee 
in terms of what his role will be or, you know, whether he gets loaned again, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. But, you know, when you look at guys like Will Smith or Ryan Leonard who are going to the NCAA, players who are in Europe like David Reinbacher, you at least know that on their teams, they'll play big roles and they'll have some stability. Whereas, you know, not only are you sure he's not coming over, which is fine, whatever, you know, most players don't make a big difference in the first three years after a draft anyway, uh, unless, you know, you're Connor Bedard or something. But it, at the same time, it, it's it's a, it's a, you know, do you want to, the number five pick is so important to an organization or, number, or top five pick, sorry. No, I'm not just leaving this to Montreal. And you have to look at it. I mean, Pat Verbeek is a new GM, so he probably has the time to wait. Uh, Mike Greer probably does. Does Yarmo Kekalainen? I don't know. <laughs> um, at the same time, though, if he picks Mitchkov, he can be like, hey, don't judge me on this team. We're still rebuilding, and our top pick is still, you know, three years away. I, I have to keep my job that long at least. So, I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting scenario because, yeah, I mean, the average tenure for an NHL GM is like five and a half years. Can you afford to wait half of it for, for your top five pick? I I don't know how many GMs can do that when your job's on the line. So yeah, it's definitely a factor. I don't think that it's that much of a factor in terms of waiting. I think it's more, you know, what happens if next year he signs another three-year extension? Then what? You know, and I think that that's, that's an issue. We do know the general managers can live in their job for about a decade uh, on the coattails of a pick that they didn't make. Everybody knows who I'm talking about right now. So you, you got a point there. If he goes for the, the elite talent and, and he's got to wait, that's kind of tough for him in his, in his specific situation to explain. If he doesn't have the teams that allow him to keep his job moving forward, then he might never live to see, well, live. Uh, I'm, I'm using that a little bit loosely there, but he, his might, job. he might not, not be around. Job. Yeah, he might not be around to see. Matt Vamishkov actually come over and, and find out what he can do. I think for the Habs, I think their concern, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're not worried about the years that it takes for him to come over. We're, nobody's expecting the Habs to compete for the cup next year and not the year after, and probably not even the year after that. So several years of not having Matt Vamishkov is not the problem. I do think the Habs, because of the way that they are, I think the lack of control, the lack of visibility, the lack of ability to be involved in any kind of decision-making when it comes to him, I think that's going to be the thing that scares them more than anything. I really don't think they're worried about whether or not he'll come over or how long it's going to take. I think it's that aspect. I think it's not being able to say, well, we'd like him to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, we've seen a number of their prospects uh, working with the development team throughout the course of the last few years. We've seen them take steps in areas specifically they need to take steps in, like Joshua Wett and Sherbrooke he's developed into a defensive specialist. He's developed a penalty kill game. That's going to be extremely valuable for him at the next level. They're not going to be able to have any influence on those things with Matt Vimichkov. So I think that'll be their number one concern. And maybe as Jared mentioned, the reason why they wanted to move up to avoid that temptation to put themselves in a position for a Leo Carlson or an Adam Fantilli specifically, or maybe even Will Smith, you could throw him in there as well so that they can have more say in what goes on and that they can, kind of mold that player into what they see as being their their need once they're ready to actually compete, right? Some of these guys are going to take the same amount of time as Matt Vamishkov anyways to actually be available to them. If that's the case, you probably look at the Habs as an organization that want to have 
more of a hand in, in how that development goes during those years. Anton, would it make sense to move down? Let's say Mitchkov is there at five. Would it make sense to trade down a couple of places in order to maybe get that not sexy pick that everyone is talking about? David no, no, but I'm just saying, like, it all depends on the offer you get. Like, if it's, I remember uh, listening to the 2019 draft, for example, uh, when you had the, the camera and the microphone at the draft table and uh, Montreal got an offer from what I'm guessing was Vegas, uh, just a couple of spots down, who wanted to trade up to 15 and probably get Cole Caulfield. Um, and uh, Mark Bergevin looked over at Trevor Timmons and asked, uh, should we make the trade? It's an extra third. And uh, Timmons said, no, we're picking. So, and uh, that was obviously like in hindsight, getting getting Cole Caulfield instead of Peyton Krebs was uh, the right call. Um, I don't see what Montreal would do with yet another draft pick further down in the draft uh, because I don't, see what like if, if it's a Matvey Mitchkov who is still there at five and someone really really wants him and is willing to trade you know a, a quite a good prospect uh, for example and and their first round pick to for Montreal to move down yeah then maybe but you know to just get an extra third or something I, I don't know if Montreal would be interested in that well what would they do with yet, yet another pick um if if they really like uh, Reinbacher the best uh, out of the the rest, so to say, uh, you pick him at five and you don't look back. That's the thing. Like uh, nobody expected Moritz Seider to go at six. He went at six. He was even surprised himself, and then he developed into a monster. So, um, well, we as I said before, we don't know what these guys are going to be three years down the line. We were all quite kind of not very high on the Caden Gooley pick, for example, when he was picked at 16, because it was said as a, it was seen as a boring kind of, you know, mass selection, but he, he looks great. So um, as I said, like, you know, if, if you don't get uh, an astronomical amount um, for, you know, to move down, then you pick what you see as the best player at five. I, I think if you're not taking Mitchkov at five, and he's the one that's there at five. Obviously, this will have to wait until, you know, the, the fourth pick is done. But but I think yeah, I think there's an argument for trading down uh, a few spots. Uh, you know, th- there is an argument uh, for trading five and thirty one to Detroit for say nine and seventeen, as an example, right? Um, I-, I think that there's. There's a lot of different players available at five if you don't go in Mitchkov's direction. And if you don't really love one in particular, you might as well uh, trade down and, and get one from, uh, get get a player you like, whether it's, you know, Zach Benson who falls, you know, farther down the top 10, uh, Ryan Leonard, Reinbacher, or whether it's someone in that next tier that you, uh, you're looking at that you want to get a, a better look at as well. So, yeah, I think that there is an argument for it. Uh, you might not even have to go down that far. I mean, you know, you can look at Washington at eight or Philadelphia at seven uh, as teams that might want to move up. Uh, even Arizona at six. I mean, they're probably going to stay there. But uh, if they want to avoid a team, you know, jumping over them to take the guy that they want, uh, they can trade up as, as well. So I think that there's a lot of different conversations and options for Montreal. 
depending on who they want. And a lot of it is going to circle around Matt Vivichkov and whether they want him or not. But there's a lot of really good players in this top 10 and not all of them will be taken in the top 10. And I think that there's there's an interesting little game that, that can be played where you trade down and get your guy and get extra assets. Uh, and, you know, trading a top five pick is still going to net you quite a bit, right? Even if you drop down to eight, that might even get you a second or a future first, um, depending on the situation. So it, it'll be very interesting because, you know, it's not like you're trading, a, you know, 15th or into the top 10. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, this draft is good, has the potential to be very, very chaotic or it can go very, very straightforward and, and not very many surprises. So it, it's it's going to be very interesting to watch as we as we get into it, and I can't wait because I'm almost more excited for this draft than I was when Montreal had the first overall pick last year um, because there's, there's a lot more options, and you know that Ken Hughes is not afraid to make moves, right? Nobody saw Kirby Dock coming last year, and this year you kind of expect it, right? You expect the Montreal Canadiens to do something uh, during the draft. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Moving up from 31, though, is that a possibility? I, I would try to move up from 31 if possible. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, it, it really depends on the price. I'm against moving down. I've, I've got my list of players uh, that I'd really like to get at number five. And I'd pro- I'd, I would keep that pick, honestly, depending on what the offer is. Again, it's always depending on what the offer is. As for 31, I think it's a lot easier to move up from 31 than it is to move up from five. So I think the cost will be a lot lower. And I think that's where we might see them make a move um, if somebody falls that they've had their eye on. So if somebody was projected in the top, say 12, and we get to pick, you know, 12 and that person's still on the board, I could see them jumping up to 13, paying a little bit to get up there from 31, maybe including the 37th pick there as well, depending on who it is. I think that's a lot easier for them to do than moving up from five at the very least. That being said, um, there's, significant smoke out there that they're very interested in Ethan Gauthier, who is a teammate of Joshua Hoya. He's going to be probably right there for them at 31. He's a very safe high floor pick uh, that they could take and they could have very good confidence that he's going to be a contributor at the NHL level, albeit not uh, a top line player. He's not projected to be a top line player. Anyways, they've got options at 31 is what I'm trying to say, where they're, they're going to have at least a reasonable degree of certainty that that player is going to be able to make it to the NHL and to contribute for them. Again, that being said, this draft outside of the top five, uh, especially if things are already looking like they might get wild in the top five, there's a very distinct possibility that somebody's going to drop and then Kent Hughes is going to pull one of those moves, right? He's going to package that 31st pick with some other uh, prospects or other picks and try to get back up into that top 20 uh, and see what we can get. Um, it should be interesting. Again, I, I think it's more, I think it's way more likely that they move up from 31 than it is. They move down from five. One of the players that has arisen over the last couple of weeks in, in, in the draft rankings is a certain Mr. Tennis from regular Vilander. 
Yep. Um, you're so young, so you don't remember Matsvilander, though. So, so you don't get the reference. No, that that was before my time. Yeah. For having played with Adam Engstrom, signed with Boston University, going to play with Lane Hudson. Would that be an interesting target? Do, do you mean if you trade up from 31? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I'm trying to find the quotes. I think that it was Hardy who sent it to me and said that, you know, Tom Willander is someone who is severely underrated and, and should really get more credit. I really hope it was Hardy who said it because otherwise I'm crediting the wrong person here. But, uh, but yeah, Tom Willander is... Um, it would be fun for... I was going to say it would be fun for you, but obviously he's already signed with the NCAA and, and Boston University now. So um, you won't get that, you know, that fun thing of having a suite to report about. But uh, but yeah, he, he looks um, he looks the part for for real. Uh, it would be uh, would be fun to see what he can bring to um, to uh, an already stacked Montreal um, defensive prospect line. Indeed, and, and also playing with Lane Hudson would make for an interesting... I, I would assume half the Montreal media would be in Boston every other week. Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, ha, ha, half the Canadians' management will be in Boston anyway, right? Because uh, Kent Hughes' son... Uh, although I think Kent Hughes' son actually uh, is transferring from Northeastern, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he entered the portal. But yeah, I mean, look, the, the you know, between Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, Martin Saint-Louis, uh, I don't think any... Uh, any um, GM and coach combination has spent more time watching university hockey in Boston than than that group of guys. Uh, but but in all in all honesty, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If the the thing is that if the Canadians like Leonard and they like Reinbacher, which all indications are they they do, there's a lot of players who are similar to them late in the draft. So if you go in one direction at five. At 31 or at 37, you have those right-handed defensemen like Willander, uh, and then there's you know Oliver Bonk and there's uh, Lucas Dragosevich. All, all those guys are are going to be in that range uh, around there. And then you know you look at the forwards, and if you don't want necessarily uh, you know Zach Benson at five, then you have guys like Bradley Nato and um, Gavin Brindley who are a little on the small side. Andrew Cristal. Who, who might be there at 31 and 37. So, you know, the Canadians are a team that obviously is not afraid to take smaller players. Uh, Lane Hudson's a good example. Philip Machar is a good example. And that's just under this current uh, administration. And, but, but there's like a, a time and a place for that, right? They weren't taking, you know, Lane Hudson at 28 or even at 30, 33. They took him at, at 62, right? So, I, the Canadians are, are a team that looks for value, and there's 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 the potential for a lot of really good value at 31 and at 37. Having said that, though, I would be very surprised if they make both of those picks. Uh, I think that there's NHL players that they're looking at that they might trade for. Uh, I think that there's the opportunity to trade up, like we've mentioned. Uh, I would be very surprised if, if they're picking at 31 and at 37. I don't think they'll necessarily trade both of those picks unless they trade up. Uh, but but yeah, it'll be uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see. And 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 the the fun, like I said, this is a fun draft for the Canadians because I, I feel like there's a lot of different options they can go in. And we know, uh, you know, we kind of became accustomed to nothing really happening at the draft. Um, 
under Mark Bergevin and even before him, <laughs> the Canadians weren't really a team that did a lot. Um, you know, I, they traded like a first for Alex Tangay and a first for Trevor Linden. And that was pretty much all they did um, And when I was when I was growing up. Uh, and so now that, you know, they, they, they have the options to, to play around with their picks. They have a lot of picks and, and they're not afraid to make big moves. Uh, hey, we saw that two Ro- seconds Ro- for also. two seconds for Andrew Shaw. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah, I, th- th- those are yeah yeah that's true too. Uh, um, th- those two seconds might get you Alex to Prinkat now though. Um, if you know they they they, they can trade thirty one and thirty seven to Ottawa. Uh, but no. Um, uh, yeah, it it'll be interesting to see. Matt, would you trade the thirty first and a prospect for PLD? I would not. I would not because I don't believe these rumors that are out there. I don't believe that the Los Angeles Kings are interested in paying a King's ransom to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. I don't believe that anybody's paying a King's ransom. He's made his intentions, his desire at the very least to go to Montreal pretty clear, pretty public. His agent has talked about it. I mean, this is something that's been known for a while. It's not a secret. You don't need to be an insider to know it. So I would be sticking with Winnipeg hard on you want to get rid of Pierre Lutz. Well, we're talking about roster players. We're talking about Christian Dvorak plus, 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 of course. It's not just going to be Christian Dvorak, but I'd be playing hardball with them. I, I would say, listen, I'm not, I'm not giving up that much for a guy who's known to want to come here because if you can't get a deal done, if you can't get a deal done, he's not signing with you. The best you're going to get is one more year. He hits UFA and you lose him for nothing. So you might as well take what you can get and then get out of my office. I'm not making a significant trade for him. Now, that being said, if it was only the 31st overall pick and only a prospect, I would consider it, depending on which prospect that is. It ain't going to be Lane Hudson. I can tell you that right now. That would be a massive problem among the fan base in Montreal, and it would be a stupid idea for the Habs to agree to trade Lane Hudson away. I also would refuse if they asked for Joshua Lua. Yeah, But that's on principle. Outside of that, I, I'd probably be interested in it. If they were willing to take, you know, Riley Kidney and number 31, I think you, you got to take that and you got to laugh all the way to the bank because I think that's a pretty fair deal. Outside of that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm straight up not doing it because I think that he's going to come to Montreal. He's going to make his way here one way or another. And I don't believe this smoke about LA. I do not see LA giving up a King's ransom a Mark there? to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. He never gave up a King's ransom he, before. He is. He's an advisor. Uh, for the time being, he he's an advisor. That, yeah, but he's like, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, is, is he really going to throw exactly. a bunch of assets to try and what, stick it to Montreal? If that's the case, then go ahead. Eat your heart out. Have fun. You want to do that? Go ahead. The Habs center depth, like, if we talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois, we have to kind of go to the root of it. It's like, why, why do we want him? Well, because he's good. He definitely makes the Montreal Canadiens better right now on that roster. But do they need to throw a bunch of assets to get them on the team? I would argue no. You have centers coming up in the ranks. Right now, your center depth as of today, right, if they do no moves, they're looking at Nick Suzuki, Kirby Doc, Sean Monaghan, and probably Jake Evans as the four. Right now, you've already got Christian Dvorak sitting there twiddling well, his thumbs ca- like, what am I going to do this year? So you're not in a desperation point for a center, and you're also Sorry, not Matt, competing but... next year, and that's key. No, I was just right? going to say, like, Christian anybody... Borg will obviously play when Sean Monaghan is injured for 60 games. So, Well, <laughs> that's that's a fair point, but I, I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that everybody starts the year healthy, 
that's your center depth right now. And I think you're in a pretty good position considering that you're not expected to compete. Does anybody realistically think that adding Pierre-Luc Dubois and losing one pick, maybe two picks and multiple prospects is magically going to make them a cup contender no, next but, year? But, but, but I think, I think no. it makes them a cup contender in so why would two you or do three it? years. I think it makes them closer than, yeah. But I, I think in two or three years. I think that no, one way or another, the whole saga is going to end this offseason. Because if he gets traded, whether it's to Montreal or elsewhere, there's an extension that's going to be with that. So he's not going to be a UFA. So I don't think that the the argument of just wait until next July and get him for nothing is is going to happen. Because I think that no matter what happens, the Jets, and that's why he gave a list of what five, six teams or whatever it was, um, is, is has been given to the Jets. He doesn't want to completely screw them over uh despite you know asking for for a trade and saying he's not going to sign a one-year deal with them uh, but having said that I, I think that you i i think the chances of a trade montreal are average i wouldn't say like there's a, a really good chance um but I, I think that yeah you have to consider doing it because just flexibility in the lineup jake evans can play wing uh, we saw that during the playoff run when he played with Philip Deneau, um and and uh, Arturi mm-hmm. Lekkinen. Oh no, he it was Brendan Gallagher, wasn't it? Um, and then uh, Lekkinen replaced him after Evans got hit by by Shifley. But I I think that we you know Jake Evans could play wing. Pierre Luc Dubois has said that you know he doesn't mind you know playing wing, uh, long term. Um, you know even a guy like uh, Kirby Doc. Right, he played wing, uh, most you know most of last year, or at least part of last year before the injuries hit, um, pretty much every center in the organization. Uh, so I mean, it's the do the Canadians need him? No. If this was a year ago, before they got Kirby Doc, I would yes, the desperation would be much higher. I, I don't think the Canadians are desperate, but I think that. It, it does make sense to explore the options. Having said that, like Matt said, there's there's a cap to that cost. Um, you know, you're not trading Suzuki or Caulfield. You're not trading Doc. Uh, you're not trading. Uh, you're probably not trading Owen Beck. Uh, I would I would think he's probably part of that untouchable. Not trading Lane Hunt. No, not, not trading, trading Lane Hudson. Not trading not Joshua. Trading Joshua. And, and I think that you know. Are, are, would would they trade? You're not trading Yuri Slavkovsky either. Let's just get him out of the way. Um, would you trade? Would you trade? You know, Philip Machar yeah. as part of that deal. Th- then it starts to get into into a a, a kind of interesting yeah. little debate, right? Because you then you have to talk about what other picks are we giving. Um, you know, so yeah, I think that it's an interesting debate to be had. I think that the Canadians are definitely in there. I don't know. It depends what the Jets are going to do, right? If they're rebuilding then the Canadians are a better fit than if they're not rebuilding because the only NHL players that can conceivably be traded that Montreal would want to part with are probably Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak. And that's not really going to do it for, for a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois. So it, it's, I, I, I agree with all the articles out there to say that there, there's not really a fit, but I don't think you can discount Montreal. Um, but personally, I just hope that when Pierre-Luc Dubois is traded, it comes with an extension so that we can just either have him as a member of the Canadians or just forget about it and, and move on and, and discuss other things. Well, 
but but there's you you bring up an interesting point, and there's a caveat to what I said about not wanting to make the trade for him, right? What's that extension look like? Because if the trade is coming with an extension, I'll tell you right now, I'm not paying him nine million to come to Montreal. I'm just not. Nick Suzuki in the last two seasons has put up 127 points in 164 games. That's 0.77 points per game. He's getting paid 7.875 million. Pierre-Luc Dubois apparently wants 9 million. So no, you could have a little bit more than Suzuki, maybe not 9 million because he's put up 123 points in 154 games over the last two seasons. That's 0.79. You don't get like $2 million extra for 0.02 additional points per game. You just don't. I don't, and there's nothing, there's nothing against him. I like him. I want him on the Habs. I think it's great. I think you get a hometown hero. I think he's marketable, but I think if he wants that trade to happen where it's coming to Montreal, that deal needs to be a little bit sexier on Montreal's end. Why? Because you're going to come here and you're immediately going to get endorsement deals that nobody else gets in the league. You're going to be in a McDonald's commercial tomorrow. You might be in a Burger King commercial too. You'll be on competing commercials and you'll be getting paid by both of them. You're going to have every endorsement deal available to somebody because you can speak French and because you're from the area, you're marketable as hell in this, in this area. So you, you, there's gotta be some give and take there. Listen, we got two, we got our two top players right now signed for around the same amount of money. You're going to have to come down a little bit from that 9 million. If you want that trade to be to us, if it's a sign and trade, like you said, Jared, listen, my interest in the deal gets significantly higher if his number on that extension is somewhere around Suzuki's for the contract, if it's 9 million, eh, I know it's going to look better as the cap continues to go up, but I don't want to. The only thing I'll say about million. that is that we've set an internal um, cap. Asking for 9 million is one thing. <laughs> Getting it is, is another. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's like all the, the jet fans who are like Lane Hudson and uh, everyone else on your team. Uh, and number five overall. Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, yeah, definitely there, it's part of the conversation, but he does get that eighth year in a sign of trade as well. So I think that probably brings a number down as well um, with it. But yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Like I said, this off season for the Canadians is, is going to be very, very intense because uh, they like, once again, they're going into the off season with like no forward spots. <laughs> like, like right now, like they have like 15 forwards on NHL contracts uh, mm-hmm. and that doesn't even count any prospects or anybody coming up from Laval. So um, yeah, the, the, something's got to give. Something's got to give for sure. You've been listening to Habs Unfinded. It's been a pleasure next time. And I'm telling all the others here as well. We're going to do a mock draft to see who will pick on number five if we do trades, if we move up from number 31 ourselves. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe. Please stay away and don't let the police know where Anthony is at this point. Bye.